1: This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Terry Crowell. Uh She's a sleep educator, uh, an RN, a you know, nurse. Uh, Terry, thanks for coming on the podcast. How you doing?
2: I'm doing well, Richard. How are you doing today?
1: Good, good. Yeah. Um, so tell me about uh, your work as a nurse and a clinical sleep educator. What do you see, and what's your daily work look like? Oh, well,
2: it's um, <laughs> it's, it's busy, and there's a lot of uh, different things I do, and a lot of different hats I wear, but um, it's probably interesting to note that as a registered nurse, we, or I, I, we, I mean, it wasn't in our curriculum. We didn't learn much about sleep, but of course Mm -hmm. we were expected right out of school to work a lot of crazy shifts. And I don't think sleep was on anyone's radar back in the day. Um, It's only been very recent until, but it has been on the radar of employers, employees, and, and the, um, all of us in general. So anyway, um, as a nurse, I, I ended up doing a lot of work in clinical research and we were doing insomnia trials. I was working with sleep doctors on that. And one of the sleep doctors said, you, you know, ask me, you wanna come to my lab and see what it's like to test people for sleep disorders. And I said, absolutely. And that was the beginning of a very, very abrupt career change into sleep medicine. Um, Once I sort of saw what went on when people come into the clinic, sleep overnight, and uh, are diagnosed and treated for sleep disorders, it was very life-changing. You know, I, I think that was the epiphany I had where I realized, oh my gosh, sleep is so incredibly important to health, and why didn't we learn about this, and I need to spread the word. So that was sort of the beginning of my work you know, trying to, I, I literally, I go to corporations and talk to grown-ups, and I go to elementary schools and talk to little kids about sleep. So I really try to get the message out to everyone.
1: So what have you experienced? Uh, so you've been there when people are doing the, you know, the overnight sleep studies in the lab?
2: Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it's, it always sounds worse. You know, people say, oh gosh, I don't want to go in the lab and get that study. And it's, you know i i get that i think there's so many common misconceptions about that but what i re- you know and i try to tell people or i spend a lot of my time educating people on the test itself and and saying look it's a, it's a really easy test it just doesn't look easy because we have to put some sensors on you but it actually is completely painless it's very easy and you go to sleep um you know and we we get a lot of good information and I think two of the most common um, issues that people bring up are, how can I sleep with all those wires? And you'd be surprised <laughs> how well people sleep. They're often surprised at how well they do um, because, you know, we put them in a comfortable bed and, and pretty soon they're, they're fast asleep on their normal schedule. But also they worry about, you know, just, oh, my gosh, I've got all these wires. And if I need to use the restroom at night, what do I do? And obviously that's real easy all those wires really converge into one sort of plug hookup thing. So it's a a quick thing to get unplugged and and get up and walk around or use the restroom, whatever you need to. So, I mean, our our goal is to get people tested um, for sleep disorders if they haven't been able to get a good night's sleep because sleep is so important to physical health and mental health and just overall functioning. And, you know, Rich, one of the things we used to say is, I mean, I've been in sleep for 20, sleep medicine for 22 years now. And we used to say sleep was one of the three pillars of health and wellness, along with diet and exercise. And now we don't say that because what we've learned is sleep is actually the foundation of health and wellness. And exercise and um, nutrition and diet are completely contingent on, on sleep, whether we get enough or we don't. So we really put sleep as square one. And describe it as um, foundational to health and, and well-being, and then it goes off into um, it can really affect our quality of life, how successful we are, how motivated we are, and you know how our relationships are. That's that's what's so interesting about sleep. It affects pretty much every aspect um, of our functioning. And so I, I think the bottom line is it's incredibly important.
1: So tell me about some of the uh, things you've seen. In the lab, some of the issues people have had, and you know what you observed in the lab,
2: yeah, we've seen um a lot of different things, of course, people for the most part, they're trying to see if they have sleep apnea. People come to the lab um with with problems you know of just daytime sleepiness, and now some of the people that come in, for instance, I'll have you know wives sort of bringing their husbands kicking and screaming. Um, because the wives or bed partners have noticed that their bed partner stops breathing during the night, chokes, gasps, snores, and then stops for a while. And obviously, um, now the person doing it is probably not even aware of it most of the time, but the bed partner will say, oh my gosh, you know, I had to shake him or her to get them breathing again kind of thing. So that's probably the number one issue they bring them to um, get checked for sleep apnea. But we also have people that are just constantly tired during the day, um, and they we can't figure out the reason why. So they um, say, you know, we, we test them for narcolepsy. We test them for things like restless leg syndrome, periodic limb movement disorder, REM behavior disorder. Um, there have been instances where um, a, a person sleeping can become very aggressive uh, during REM sleep, and either, you know, punch or kick a, a bed partner kind of thing. And, you know, we we make, you know, this is, and that's a sleep disorder. It's not, um, nothing personal, <laughs> but, but, you know, we have to test, you know, check for these things because um, there are over 88 known sleep disorders, but most everything is very um, treatable and manageable. And since sleep is so important to daytime functioning, it's imperative that if anyone has signs of a sleep disorder, or it's just not functioning well during the day and constantly tired, they really need to get it checked out because what we don't want um, are people just having chronic sleep deprivation issues because that's what leads to the really serious health problems. So we want to get in there and make sure nothing's going on with sleep. And if there is, get it treated um, really quickly. Like with sleep apnea, we, the gold standard mm-hmm. is CPAP. The continuous positive airway pressure, and you know, some people will tell me, "Oh gosh, Terry, I don't want to be hooked up to a machine at night." And and I say, "Well, you know, 99% of the patients in the clinic setting, once they realize, you know, how poorly they've been sleeping, and the CPAP helps them breathe during the night, they feel 100% better." So it's a real you know quality of life issues people feel so much better wearing um the mask and the masks are smaller now than they used to be back in the day when i started um the machines are smaller and quieter and there are a lot of people that just say they're the best things since sliced bread and there's um there's even new treatments available mild sleep apnea cases are sometimes easily treated with a oral appliance and there's also a new pacemaker product out that, I mean, it's, it's pacemaker-like in that it there's a um, a small sensor that's inserted and it's sort of, um, it will stimulate people to breathe during the night when they're, um, when they stop breathing with sleep apnea. So I think there's, a, there, there are options and there's something for everyone. And I think people, I think right now there are too many people with undiagnosed and untreated sleep disorders out there you know, trying to get through the day when life could be a lot easier if they um, got diagnosed and treated, for sure. Right. Okay.
1: So, uh, you know, what are the things people complain about that necessitates a sleep study? What are some of the things that you've heard?
2: Well, you know, that's a great question. And I'll tell you why, because I recently read an article where a bus driver was falling asleep at red lights and at stop signs. Now, during the day, and here's a bus driver driving children around, of course, in a school bus. And when she was being interviewed, she said, I had no idea that falling asleep during the day had anything to do with how I slept at night. And, you know, that struck me as funny because to me, it's just such an obvious cause and effect. But there are a lot of people out there who sort of don't make the connection, you know, they just or, or they think they're sleeping OK when in reality they're not. Um, You know, for instance, say someone has severe sleep apnea and they don't have a bed partner or they live alone and no one's hearing them snoring, gasping, choking for breath, things like that. So they don't always make the connection. And then there are other signs and symptoms of sleep deprivation that people don't associate with sleep. And here's where the problem is. Sometimes people are so, you know, used to being sleepy all day, but then they don't realize that Wow, they're you know, I'm irritable, I don't like my job anymore, people are starting to tick me off, you know, I'm picking fights mm. with my spouse. You know, there are a whole lot of other aspects of our functioning that are affected by sleep. I mean, um, you know, even things like just being able to focus at work, um, organizing, making good decisions, making say like financial decisions, you know, how are we making good ones? I mean, how much we sleep, how well we sleep or how little we sleep really impacts a lot of our day-to-day um, life. And I think that's where the breakdown comes along. And, you know, people aren't getting the message that it can affect so many aspects of their lives. So they just don't take sleep seriously. And, you know, probably as well as I do that a lot of people disregard sleep. I mean, you'll never hear one bra- hear anyone bragging about like not drinking much water or not needing to drink water during the day you know, it's a biological need, but so is sleep. And, but oddly, you know, people, oh, you know, I've gotten used to just getting a little bit of sleep or.
1: Tells people if they don't wake up early or if they, you know, you got to yeah. get in there and get ahead and you're sleeping, you're dead and all these stupid things. So Unfortunately, yeah. society makes you feel bad and lazy. If you well, sleep too much.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It's just been seen as a weakness, a character flaw, you know, or lacking motivation or the work ethic. And we never collectively or individually, most of us have never looked at it as what it is, which is a biological need. And the the real problem comes down to the fact that most everyone on the planet needs seven. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking adults. Kids, of course, need more, but most adults need seven to nine hours a night. And I would say easily a third of adults aren't getting that amount. And the problem is people will tell me, I mean, I, I when I go and, and do seminars and workshops, they'll say, oh, Terry, I've gotten used to getting by on five hours and I really need to just sleep five hours because I've got so many things to do during the day. I need more waking hours. Well, statistically, less than 5% of the population are true short sleepers. And that's a genetic variant that, is very rare. Very few people have it. And yes, those people that have it do well on, say, six hours, five hours, or, or even less of sleep per night. They they do fine. They can maintain a healthy weight. They're very productive. They're healthy, happy, on and on and on. They, they've they got that gene. But I everyone else really needs that seven to nine hours. But they're making a big mistake by swapping. Here's where the math gets tricky. They think, well, I need more waking hours. But it's not quantity that's important. It's actually the quality of waking hours. So when we're well rested, yeah, we'll have fewer waking hours. Say if I get that seven to nine hours every night, I'll have fewer waking hours than the person that gets five. But I'll be more efficient. You know, I'll just do everything better. I'll do it. You know, it won't take me three tries to get something done. I won't make as many errors. And it's hard to explain that because I think we've all had it drilled into our heads that, you know, the opposite is true. So it's really interesting now that we're flipping the script on it. And, and, uh, you know, we have to say, no, you have to be very unapologetic for your need for sleep. I mean, it's your biology. You shouldn't be look at, you know, you really should look at it as a strength and take the benefits of sufficient sleep and use them to your advantage. And I think rather than looking at sleep as an obstacle to success, you know, it's a means to success. It really is something that will really enhance the quality of life and enhance your performance in just about every category um, there is. So, you know, it's interesting to say, hey, everything you've known, <laughs> throw it out the window. And here are some real eye openers about sleep. This is how it can help you.
1: Yeah. So what are, what are some of the things that are measured when you do a sleep study? What do they indicate?
2: Yeah. I mean, say say with sleep apnea. What happens is people with sleep apnea really don't oxygenate well. Their airway gets blocked and it can even be completely blocked or partially blocked. But people will have many of those episodes in an hour. And every time those oxygen levels drop, I mean, your body goes into this fight or flight mode. I mean, you might not remember all these, you know, awakenings, but you're just startling very frequently. It's really bad for your cardiovascular system. Um, so we look at every aspect of of breathing and of, you know, how much oxygen you're getting. We also look at things we, like your um, legs, are your legs you know, moving during the night? Um, we look at things are, like, are you grinding your teeth during the night? Are you having any? Uh, and, and we also, of course, check the brain waves. That's something we can do in lab that we can't do outside of the lab. Now there are home test, you know, home sleep testing kits that you can do at home that will check your breathing while you're sleeping. But that's pretty much the only, you know, only thing it's looking at is, is the oxygen, which would lead you, you know, lead toward a diagnosis of sleep apnea. But for the other sleep disorders, you know, whether it's narcolepsy or anything else, probably an in-lab study would be the best route, but, and there's tons of good information. You know, we know when you're having REM sleep, when you're not, if you're, um, you know, kicking your legs at night, grinding your teeth. Um, we can look at a whole lot of different things. And of course, children go through, you know, sleep studies as well. My co-author um, works with children in um, in Texas at a large hospital lab. And children can get sleep disorders just like adults do. And that's another thing we have yeah. to look at, you know, if, if they're having certain symptoms, you know, daytime sleepiness, or even some kids get hyper when they're sleep deprived. Um, but we look for sleep apnea in children as well.
1: Does sleep apnea occur frequently in children or other conditions?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's probably more frequent than we've sort of thought in the past. Um, And with kids, sometimes it's an issue where they need their consults out. But we do look at certain behaviors. And again, going back to what I said before, we look at, we sort of start with sleep. You know, in fact, we do look at sleep now, the people in sleep medicine, as a vital sign you know, and that's something that really has to be addressed, like a fundamental aspect of your functioning that should be addressed at every healthcare provider encounter, how are you sleeping? So the same goes with kids, you know, if kids are just really not sleeping well at night or seem very uh, either sleepy during the day, hyper behavior problems at school, things like that, people are now are starting to say, wait a minute, let's look at this sleep and how they're doing. But um, yeah, and, and so it's, it's something that teachers can always, you know, be so aware of. You know, there's been a lot of issue, you know, there's been a lot of dialogue about um ADD, ADHD and then is it is it truly um an ability, you know, a problem concentrating or is the child just not getting enough quality sleep? I mean, there's you got to look at sleep in terms of duration. Um and the National Sleep Foundation posts um recommended sleep times for all age groups on their website. But you have to look at the quality of sleep as well. So uh, say an adult can be in bed for nine hours every night, but that doesn't, if they have an undiagnosed and untreated sleep disorder, they're not really getting good quality sleep. They're probably having a lot of fragmentations and, you know, it's disrupted poor quality sleep. So that has to come into play as well.
1: So how are are people supposed to judge the quality of their sleep if it's subjective to them until they go into a lab when you only see people that have severe problems
2: yeah i mean that's a great point i mean some of it's more subtle of course but i think people again have to you know how do you feel when you wake up in the morning are you refreshed are you restored you know how are your energy levels during the day you know we have such a caffeine culture in this country that you know are you looking at caffeine? You're looking to stay awake all day long by virtue of having a cup of coffee in your hand all the time, or can you do it without? So, you know, some people just say, well, I'm not sleepy during the day. and But then my question back is, well, how many cups of coffee? Do you have energy drinks during the day? Um, things like that. Or, you know, and then of course, when people do that all day to stay awake, uh, too many people self-medicate at night with alcohol, And they, you know, reach for a nightcap to help them fall asleep. Well, the problem with that is the alcohol starts metabolizing a couple hours later, which is in the middle of the night, and it will disrupt sleep. And again, so the person wakes up tired, more caffeine, alcohol. I mean, that's sort of one example of one of the vicious cycles that can ensue. You know, they just, again, they might not say, well, I don't feel sleepy per se, but Look at other, you know, how are you functioning overall? You know, are you, are you irritable? Are you snapping at people? Are you, you know, do you have to do things three times before you get it right? Are you know, does it take a long time to get your work done during the day? I mean, really look at sort of those other, you know, the more subtle things and then just think, okay, you know, how am I sleeping? Or, you know, do I wake up a lot during the night? Or am I looking at my electronics right before bed, and then I have a hard time falling asleep? Um, Or am I just simply binging on my Netflix shows and not going to bed on time um, in in hopes to get used to it? Or people, I know a lot of people who admit to undersleeping during the week, during the work week, and then hoping to make up for it on the weekends. And we know Mm -hmm. that's not a good formula at all. Because, you know, there's a lot of metabolic damage done from sleep deprivation that's very short term in nature. It's it's sort of an acute, you know, it can throw your blood work in disarray very quickly. Your metabolism is is, it doesn't take much to hurt your metabolism. And then if you hope to sort of undo that on the weekends with extra sleep, the research now really points to the fact that we can't undo that damage. And the damage is very real. And it can have short-term and long-term implications. So I think the message is get sufficient sleep every single night of the week, not just, you know, hoping to make up for it on the weekends. That's a really bad formula. We call it yo-yo sleeping, and it can get you in a mess pretty quick.
1: Okay. Well, you well, what's, uh, what's the best way for folks to uh, start to get educated on sleep and tie, you know, how they're feeling to potential uh, sleep issues?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there are there are a lot of good um resources um available to people. I think I send a lot of people to the National Sleep Foundation website and um to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine puts out some really good information as does the C D C and they all three of those will um websites have information on sleep requirements by age. They have really good information on sleep hygiene, which is just a, a sort of a different term for good sleep habits, you know, things people can do every single day to help them sleep at night and get better sleep. Um, and I think, you know, just doing some, some work, we're definitely trying to get sleep health in the curriculum into elementary school so kids can develop good sleep habits early, And um, which really has the potential to change their trajectory, uh, throughout their lifespan. If, if they are getting good sleep, um, as children all the way through adulthood. And of course we, you know, we ask parents, um, and adults to be good role models when it comes to sleep, you know, don't try to get by on less than you need, get sufficient amount of sleep, talk to your, um, employers. We have a real big problem in this country. You may have been reading about it lately. Um, the school start times, um, teenagers really do. Yeah, don't get-
1: they naturally want to get up later. So early yes. school start times are a big problem.
2: Huge problem, Rich. And they're starting these school start as early as 7, um, between 7 and 7.30 in the morning. And it's really, really unhealthy um, for the kids. And, you know, I, I read parent, even parent comments, you know, that, oh, we're coddling these teenagers by by having healthy school start times. They're going to have to figure it out later. Well, biologically, they they are predisposed to having just as you say they they That's fall asleep right. later and, and want to sleep later. It's just the way their melatonin is produced in puberty, and we have to realize we have to go by the science, and it's telling us that if we keep them from getting that sleep, they're more likely to get um, heart problems early. They're more likely to develop diabetes, and we've seen parallel epidemics in this country of sleep deprivation. And obesity and it's affecting all age groups Um, and a lot of people when they do gain that weight they can't lose it because they don't realize how important the sleep component is to that effort you've got to get sufficient sleep to lose the weight Um, and obviously getting sufficient sleep will help you maintain a healthy weight so we're very worried about the teenagers and obviously besides the health problems the men, physical health problems we're worried about the mental health issues they have increased um, you know thoughts of suicide they're more predisposed to substance abuse when they're sleep deprived uh, risky mm-hmm. behavior and then there's drowsy driving which is incredibly dangerous just as dr- dangerous as drunk driving really so we have to look at this pretty seriously and and realize I mean some of these instances it's it could be a life and death matter, um, and we have to take sleep that seriously um, now that we know how important it is. So, and it, like I said, it affects people of all age groups. And if we want to be our healthiest and perform our best, we really have to get that sufficient sleep every day.
1: Well, Terry, you know, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. And you know, everyone's got sleep issues, if not themselves and someone in their family. So uh, it's important to look at this. So I, I appreciate you being coming on the podcast.
2: Thanks, Rich. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been great. And uh, I will tell you, too, it's important. We make sleep a personal uh, classroom, workplace, and family value. It's that important.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome,